Howdy, folks. Hey. <laughs> like a Western greeting. Um, glad that you're here. If you'll grab the notes that you were handed on the way in, uh, we'll jump into our message in just a second. I've got a couple of housekeeping items that I, I want to do real quick. Um, last weekend, while we were in Israel, Pastor Evan taught. And uh, I was able to listen to the message. Evan did a great job. And I think it would be remiss not to thank him for just his ministry and his teaching gift to us. He's a great pastor, and our Lakewood campus is truly blessed to have him over there. Uh, as Mark had said, uh, our Israel trip was, it was great. 82 people uh, this time that, that went. I would say that uh, probably the unique thing about this trip that I felt, uh, a lot of the folks that went... Uh, you, you could never make something like this happen. You could never even think about how to minister to something like this. But it seemed as though the Holy Spirit had orchestrated something in that a lot of the people who went on the trip this time had experienced some level of tragedy in their life, either uh, death, uh, divorce, uh, uh, financial ruin. I mean, there were some things that I, I hadn't realized that some of our people were dealing with. And it was like God had, had sewn together a group that had suffered a lot of personal loss and you brought that group together, and instead of it being like, you know, real morose and really down, it was like they took the opportunity to minister to each other. There were some true great things that God did on this trip. And uh, as Marcus said, you know, receiving ministry, you don't have to go to Israel to be ministered to. Hopefully you'll be ministered to tonight by the time we get done. But going to Israel, it literally is the trip of a lifetime. And as we open it up and uh, offer the opportunity to go again, just encourage you to be praying about that. If it's something that's in your heart, uh, be listening. We'll talk about it. One of the things we're considering, we, we have been going every other year. We're actually considering if, if the need is there and seemingly with the amount of people going, it may be something that we open up on a year-to-year -year basis. So we'll talk about that in January and see what the, the need is and whether or not we'll put another trip together for 2014. But if you're interested, we'll be talking about that come the first of the year. And last but not least, you saw our men's advance is next weekend. Uh, I, I wanted to personally give you an invitation uh, at all of our campuses, not just here at Lone Tree, but Highlands Ranch and Castle Rock and Lakewood and those that are uh, live streaming us, wherever you happen to be. Maybe you're out of town this weekend and you'll be around next weekend. There, is, um, there are certain things we do that, that we know um, you get a lot of bang for the buck. God shows up at it. It's a chance for you to meet people. Uh, we do it because we know that the ministry quality is just, it's fantastic. And our men's advance is one of those issues. And I know uh, for guys, it's sort of like, well, you know, I, what's it like? And I, I, do I have to talk to somebody if I go to this? And, you know, will, will somebody hug me? I'm a Presbyterian. I don't want to do that. Uh, you know, that type of... <laughs> Good night. Here's, here's the deal. Men's Advance truly is an opportunity for you to connect. It's an opportunity for you to go deeper in your church. Here's the real issue. If you want to grow spiritually, position yourself to do so. I think a lot of times we take the attitude, God knows where I'm at. If he wants to get me, let him come find me. Don't take that attitude. Do this. Pursue God. Go after God. Put yourself in a situation where you can grow spiritually, where God can touch you, where you can be around other people who are pursuing the same thing. So maybe you're just like, hey, that's been my prayer. And, you know, pastor, are you talking to me? Yeah, I am. I would just encourage you, if you have any desire that way, the men's advance would be an awesome opportunity for you to experience more of your church. But really, it's a chance for you to experience God on a whole new level. And, and one of the things I can say without, I'm not just talking, it is an area where we know year after year, God blesses 
that opportunity when people are there. So if you're hungry for that or looking for that or uh, would like more information, please take a moment, go to our website. You can sign up there. There'll be information out in the foyer. All right, let's, uh, let's jump into this. Uh, if you'll grab your notes, I, I put under the intro point. I want to welcome everyone here. Uh, this series is called Epicenter, and I'll talk about that in just a second. But I want to welcome all of our campuses, not just here at Lone Tree, all of our campuses, those that are live streaming, those that will listen maybe in a couple of weeks via the podcast or uh, CD or DVD, however you're a part of the greater JFC family. We want to welcome you and thank you uh, for being a part of it. The definition of an epicenter uh, simply is this. I put it in my own understanding. It's the point or place where a significant event happens. So a lot of times if you're watching the news and an earthquake happens, they talk about the epicenter. The epicenter is where it took place and how it spreads out from there. We're taking that very thought and that very idea and we're putting it in spiritual terms. And we're talking about Jesus being the epicenter of our life. The place where something significant happens to you. Now, this uh, afternoon and this weekend, here's where we're going to go with this message. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit as the epicenter of your life. I'm going to use the book of Acts. Uh, we're going to start with Acts chapter 2, 1 through 4. So if you find it here, uh, I'll read it. It says this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Now, just quickly let me point it out to you. Um, a lot of times the, the idea here is that in order to experience the Holy Spirit, does it need to be the same thing for us today? And I think, here, here my experience, I was a Catholic kid by birth. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I didn't choose it, it chose me. Was born that way. South Louisiana was this. You, you are uh, Catholic or nothing. It's, you don't have a choice in between that. So we, we were Catholics growing up. When I uh, was invited to anything outside of Catholicism, I was invited to a small country Pentecostal church. So imagine coming from high church into a small country Pentecostal church. I had never seen anything like that. And in fact, our church, we had a rule. It was unspoken, but here it was. If you make noise, we'll kill you. That was pretty much <laughs> how it was. So you went to church. You were very quiet. It's one of the ways that I, I think the idea was simply that uh, you show reverence and respect for God by being quiet. I get that. I, I understand that. But they took it to the level where nobody expressed anything. So had there been any clapping or singing or, or anything like it would have been so out of place. So take that experience, go to a small Pentecostal church, and dude, it was like everything cliche you can imagine. It was, it was people that had, had, obviously there was a lot of joy in the Lord. There was a lot of expression around that. But I'm going from, from over here, so all of a sudden over here, it, it was a little hard to digest. All right, that was an Assembly of God church. And I, I'm, it's not, just to, to tell you what it was, Assembly of God church. I think that the message uh, that a lot of people receive about the Holy Spirit is that in order to, uh, in order to say I've been filled with the Holy Spirit, you've got to have an experience like what's described here. I heard this rushing mighty wind, and I saw tongues of fire, and chills hit me, and I fell down, or, or there, we, we, we put it in a category of something supernatural that has to take place in order, now I know I was filled with the Holy Spirit. I would make it a little more simpler for you than that. I would say that at any point in your day, if you want to be present to the presence of the Holy Spirit, he can fill you right then and there. And that you don't have to, I'm not saying that it can't happen that way, but I would ask the question, how many of you would consider yourself to be filled with the Holy Spirit? How many of you would describe your experience that a rushing mighty wind hit the room? There's a few of us who might say that, but I would think the great majority would not say that, but we would say we're filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Says, I'll, I'll, I'll talk in a minute about how we know we're filled with the Holy Spirit. But just to, to, to simplify this, you don't have to have a rushing mighty wind in order to feel like I was filled with the Holy Spirit. I would say that most of my experiences with God are more just me and God. And the evidence is that something happened on the inside of me, not on the outside of me. Is that a good way to say it? All right, so let me, let me finish reading this and we'll, we'll go a little deeper. So when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Okay, uh, let, me, let me jump into the idea of the benefit of the Holy Spirit. A couple of things. Number one, Jesus said, it's better for you if I go away so that the Holy Spirit of the promise of God can come to you. Now, we place all emphasis on Jesus. Yes or no? We love him. This church is about him. Man, we, we don't hide that. We're not embarrassed. That's, that's, we place the star of God above Jesus. But then here's Jesus telling his disciples, it's better for you if I go away so that the promise of God, the Holy Spirit, can come to you. Now, if Jesus is saying this is better, where should our emphasis be to? On the Holy Spirit. So I would then submit to you first that here Christ is encouraging us to experience and receive the Holy Spirit. And then if you needed a place where you understood what's the job of the Holy Spirit. Because again, I think a lot of people consider the job of the Holy Spirit to be some type of a supernatural manifestation. Now certainly God does move that way, but I would say most of the time that's not the job of the Holy Spirit. So let me give you a really cool scripture, uh, a couple of things. This one's not in your notes, but I want you, if you've got a pen or if you're taking notes on your iPad or however you're doing it, write this down because it's a really interesting scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. This is a scripture that actually gives a definition of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So if you're ever asked that question, why do you believe that there's three people in the Trinity. Where, where does that come from? What, where's, where's your theology behind that come from? I'm going to give you a scripture that actually teaches all three right here in one scripture, but then it also gives what each of the Trinity does or acts upon or manifests in our life. So 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14 reads this way. May the grace of our Lord Jesus. So when we experience Jesus one of the main things we experience is God's grace. Yes or no? Now, wonderful. So may the grace of the Lord Jesus, and then listen, and the love of God or the love of the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be yours. So we have in one scripture the definition of the Trinity. May the grace of Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. All right, so in those three definitions right there, we get an activity of what each part of the Trinity does. All right, with God, we experience love, right? Yeah. Unconditional love. You experience God. How do you know you've actually experienced God? You experience his love, yeah. right? So Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your name. If you experience God, you experience love. Not just the definition of I got it, but you give it, right? That, that's how, look, people can say, I know God, I believe in God. We, the only way we know for sure is that you love people. Thank you for that big amen. Try that one more time. It doesn't commit you to love people. So you can say amen. Let's try it one more time. If you experience God, you love people. Yeah. You know, the Bible actually says, if you don't love people, you're lying when you say you love God. Do you know that? So, so when we, if we experience God, we love, okay, so the Bible says the love of God, 
the grace of Jesus. We experience Jesus. We experience his grace and his mercy. There's the heart of God. And then last but not least, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. All right, I want to give you a definition. When you experience the Holy Spirit, here's what the Holy Spirit is really good at. He fleshes out the reality of Jesus in our lives. Maybe a better way to say it is, he puts the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, he makes Jesus real to us. We experience the reality of Christ through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? So that when the Holy Spirit touches us, when he fills us, when we, when we, when we talk in terms of, I, I, I was filled with the Holy Spirit, what we're really saying is, I experienced Jesus. You know the Holy Spirit is Jesus' spirit. Okay, all right. I, I, there's so much to teach here, I don't want to get stuck on, on one thing. So we've got the three identities here, love of God, grace of Jesus, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes Jesus real to it makes It makes God intimate. We experience intimacy through the Holy Spirit. Yes. Does that make sense? Okay, all right. So let me, let me do this then. I want to teach you four things to understand about the Holy Spirit. So we're going to move a little further down in the book of Acts. We're going to stay in chapter 2. Move to verse 14 through 18. Now, this is Peter. So, so uh, in context, the Holy Spirit falls upon the disciples they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They begin to speak in tongues. It's, it's an epicenter in that it's a kaboom. Listen, how, how do 12 people change the entire world? The power of the Holy Spirit. Here's, here's what Jesus said. Wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit because you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. How You can't do anything for God, without the Holy Spirit. You're not experiencing anything that God has for you without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the crux of what we're trying to teach in this message right here. You need to experience the Holy Spirit. All right, so we get the idea. Here's, here's what they're doing. Then, then they, they all talk in tongues. There's a powerful number of people who are converted to Christ. Some of the Jews who are watching this are like, what in the world is going on? These guys have to be drunk. That's what they're, that's the, they're, they're drunk in men. They're, they're, they, they have to be drunk. So Peter then gets up and begins to explain what's going on. So we're going to pick up the narrative. It's Acts chapter 2, 14 through 18. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice, addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem. Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. It's just making a rather uh, obvious statement. These guys are not drinking at nine o'clock in the morning. Now, why did they think they were drinking? So they're doing some things that were out of the ordinary. So can God do things in a church out of the ordinary? How about this question? Should out of the ordinary things be happening in an ordinary church? Absolutely. And if you're like, I don't know about unordinary things. I don't know if I want extraordinary events. I don't know then if you want the gospel. Because the gospel is full of extraordinary events. When God shows up, it's not business as usual. Say it again. When God shows up, it's not business as usual. Other people are like, maybe that's an identity. When God shows up. So we're all here. Is God about to get here or something? God came in when you walked in. If we get together, God's here. And if God is here, unusual events can take place. 
All right, let's we'll go a little bit further. All right, so it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, and then he quotes Joel's prophecy from the Old Testament. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Say that with me. All people. How many is all? Self-explanatory, correct? It's not just a group. It's not a belief system. Here's God saying, I'm going to, whoever wants to, can experience the Holy Spirit. How about that? So I will pour out my spirit upon all people, your sons and your daughters. Hey, this, by the way, is... Peter can be stoned for what he's saying right now. Even though he's quoting from the Old Testament, he is saying things that are outside of the expectation of the religious leaders of that day. This is dangerous speech right here. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even all my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Right, so let me give you four things using this context that I would teach about the Holy Spirit. Four things to understand, to know, to embrace, to get, to take away, however you want to say it. Number one, every believer has the Holy Spirit. If you are born again, you have the Holy Spirit. So, Pastor, how do you know that? Where do you pull that from? All right, let me give you a scripture right here. That, that Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 says, Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. All right, you ever go over to the mall today and buy anything in a store, and they take that little sticker and put it on there to prove that you bought it? You know what I'm talking about? Four of us know what we're, the rest, you know where the mall is? <laughs> Not even women are agreeing with me, right? Yes, it's like, I, if you, if, all right, it's like a proof of purchase. It's what you get. It's a proof of purchase. On the day of redemption, the day that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, every person will have to give an account for their lives to God. The proof that you are his will be the seal of the Holy Spirit in your life. So that if you are born again, then God has already sealed you and given you his spirit. So if you're sitting here tonight like, man, I'm, I love Jesus and I'm born again, but I've never received the Holy Spirit. That's not true. If you are born again, you've already got the Holy Spirit in your life. I said, now somebody may go, oh, yeah, but John, is there more? Yes, way more. So we'll go to way more in a second. But I want you to first embrace the idea that if you know God, he's already sealed you with the Holy Spirit. You don't have to sit in a room waiting for the Holy Spirit. He's here. He's in you, he's on you, he's with you, he's for you, he's behind you. Don't pray like God show up, pray like he already has shown up. Don't pray like I wish you would rend the heavens and come to earth. That's an Old Testament, Old Covenant prayer. Here's the New Covenant. Thank you that you've already come from heaven to the earth and you have already filled me so that I can go forward now. So how much time is wasted praying from the old covenant. God, if you'd show up, we'd do. He's shown up. Act like it. Pray like it. Believe like it. Move into it like it. Does that make sense? So I, I, I wonder how many people are like, I just, if God would just help, he's helped you. He is for you. Man, just move into it. Begin to pray and believe. I wrote in there, in the Old Testament, only a few people experienced the Holy Spirit. But in the New Testament, 
Everyone can experience the Holy Spirit. One of the places we go when we're in Israel, and now here, I have to be careful. Whenever we go there, people before they get there have the idea, we're going to look at the exact place Jesus stood. And in fact, maybe we will find his toothbrush or uh, something where we can tie a relic. Okay, people look for relics. We have to be very careful. When we get there, close to this spot. If you've been, you know. Close to this spot, somewhere around here. So, so why, why can't you nail it down? How many of you were there 2,000 years ago? Exactly. So what they've done is 200 years after the death of Christ. Then they went back, and they tried to identify specific places, and they built churches. But even then, it was 200 years later, and they are going off of oral tradition. So even now, we don't know. All right, so let's say this. One of the places we go to in Jerusalem is what they think is the upper room. So one of the reasons we know it's not the upper room, in AD 70, the Romans leveled Jerusalem. So the upper room was leveled. But it rebuilt. So we go to this place. Here's what happened. Whenever we go in there, I'm careful to tell my group, listen, this is, it's a, it's a representation of the book of Acts. It's, a, it's an identification of what happened in the book of Acts. But I, almost every time, there'll be another group that walks in there who have been told, this is the place where the Holy Spirit fell. And I've been in there when people, they want to reenact Acts chapter 2. And it's, it's an amazing thing. And I think to myself, I tell my group this. So we come in here, and everybody's like, oh, this is the place. How about this? Every place you go is Acts chapter 2. Your house is Acts chapter 2. Your job. Now my pastor should say yes to that, right? The place you work could be Acts chapter 2. So listen, your, your marriage should be Acts chapter 2. Raising your children should be Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit is with you where you have an upper room wherever you go. So I tell our people, don't get, don't get tuned into like, oh, God's, God is, was with us before we got there. He's with us after we come. Everywhere we go, we can have the experience of Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit fills us. In the Old Testament, the way that God worked is the Holy Spirit would be given to a few people. So a way to look at it was that it was very centralized power. So in the New Testament... God takes the Holy Spirit, pours out upon all people. It's the idea of decentralized power. In the Old Testament, a few. In the New Testament, all. Whosoever will can come. So I love that idea right there. In the Old Testament, primarily, you find that it was very male-dominated. So one of the arguments that I hear today is that people say, if you serve Christ, it's such a male-dominated idea, and it oppresses women. Jesus was absolutely outside of the norm of what was taught. He taught women are at the same level in being able to receive everything that God has for men to. It was, it's freeing. It, it's not a hierarchy. Does that make sense? All right, let's, let, me, let, me, let me move into a little bit further. All right, so, so number one, every believer has the Holy Spirit. Number two, here's what I would say, once is not enough. All right, if everyone experiences or has the Holy Spirit when they're born again, are there ongoing experiences with the Holy Spirit that you can have. This is where a lot of people get stuck. They don't realize every day can be another opportunity to be filled with the Holy Spirit. All right, so prove this. All right, so John 20, 22. Jesus breathes on the disciples and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Here's my question to you. If Jesus breathes on you and says, receive the Holy Spirit, how many of you think you're going to get the Holy Spirit? 
She's like, I don't know if it took or not. Trust me. Trust me. If you were to breathe on you and said, receive the Holy Spirit, you're going to get the Holy Spirit. All right, who does he do this to? The disciples. Acts chapter 2. The disciples are now in an upper room. The Holy Spirit falls. The Bible clearly says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. If Jesus has already breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit, but now in Acts chapter 2, they experience the infilling of the Holy Spirit again, yes or no, we have a subsequent ongoing experience that can happen. All right, then in your notes, I put it down. I, I, we, we didn't have room to write it, but you go back and look it up. So here it is. So in Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 4, verse 8, you have Peter and you have uh, John who have another experience that after they pray, the Bible says, the place they prayed was shaken and they were all, how many is all? All filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's a third time they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And then another time that the Bible conclusively says it, Acts chapter 4, 31, it's Peter and John again, they're together and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. So we have four separate times, this is just the ones that the Bible has written. Of all the times that it happened, who knows? But we have four separate times where the same people were filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's what I would submit to you. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit and have an ongoing experience every day of your life. And if you're not having that, I bet you're bored. And I would submit to you this. It's a sin to be bored. God doesn't want you to be bored. Jesus didn't die so that you could be bored. It's like, that bores me. Come on! This, the power of the gospel, the, the, the best part of the gospel is experiencing the reality of Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. So listen, you, you could go to church. Hey, you, you recognize going to church makes you as much of a Christian as walking in your garage makes you a car. Did you not get that? Slow it down. You, showing up isn't, it's experiencing God. It's touching him. That's the reality of what the Holy Spirit does. He makes it real to us. So there are ongoing experiences that we can have with the Holy Spirit. All right, let me, let me hit number three real quick. Number three, I just put gifts are wonderful. One of the things we read from this is that when the Holy Spirit shows up, gifts happen. One of the gifts that we read here is that they spoke in tongues. That's a gift. So I get asked the question, do you believe in the gifts of tongues for today? Yes, absolutely. I believe that the Holy Spirit, listen, here was an argument that I was given one time. Someone said to me, when the death of the last apostle occurred, it also concluded the gifts that God gave the church. He gave the church, the initial church, the gifts of the Holy Spirit because it was necessary to get the church started. Okay, valid argument. But how about this? In order for the church to finish well, we need the same gifts we started with. It's okay to start well. But if you don't finish well, who cares how you started? So I, 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 anybody here ever run a race, a marathon, any time? Do you know the importance of finishing? I, I tried to run. Marcus, Pastor Marcus ran a marathon recently. Didn't, walked a marathon. A 5K, not a marathon, a 5K. Forgive me. Well, I was making you a hero. You had a chance to be a hero unknowingly. You go, okay, so 5K. So Marcus, Marcus, run walks a 5K. And he said... <laughs> he described to me a point where it began to go uphill and stayed uphill. And he said, all of a sudden, his mind began to tell him, you stop now or you're going to die. <laughs> if you've ever run anything like you, recognize that, that screaming thing that happens in your head. So I know that, that I have, uh, at different times when running, especially in running a race, that you can start so fast and made the critical mistake 
in, on, a, on a track team in junior high school of starting, letting somebody else set a pace for me that was an unobtainable pace and took off running where there's only two of us and you think, wow, I'm, and then halfway through it, you can't finish it. And the, the embarrassment is you started great, but nobody cares about that. It's whether you finish the race that matters. So I would submit to you the argument, the idea that the gifts of the apostles, the gifts of the Holy Spirit all died with the death of the last apostle. Man, how, how silly that is. My very life would argue with that. The amount of gifts that God has let me experience are fun. And here's the best part about gifts. Gifts are fun. If you're like, I hate gifts. What's wrong with you? Seriously. What? I, I don't like gifts. What? Come on, Scrooge. What is wrong with you? Everybody loves gifts. So I, I read a book recently, uh, interesting, a few, several years ago. The guy describes the love languages that every people on the face of the earth, it doesn't matter, Chinese, you could be African, you could be whatever, everyone on the planet speaks one of five love languages. One of the love languages was gift giving. And here's what he described, that if, we, if, we, if that's our love language, the way we give the gift is the way we need to receive the gift. Now, he compared it in marriage, and this is what he said. You never marry a person who speaks the same language as you. Therein lies the problem with marriage. So, for, I'm, I'm a gift giver. Chris is an acts of service people. So, I run out and buy her stuff. What does she want? Clean out the dishwasher. I'd rather buy you a dishwasher. <laughs> and so, it's like speaking two languages. And you, you yell as loud as you can, I love you, but if someone doesn't speak the language, they don't hear it. So, gift giving is a love language. I got a question for you. If, if you could believe this, does God have a primary love language? But a primary. He's a gift giver. About John 3.16, God so loved the world that he... Here he tells us that it's better for you if I go away so that the promise or the gift of the Holy Spirit could come to you. So what are you teaching? God and I are a lot alike in that we both love to give gifts. <laughs> Just seeing if you're paying attention, right? You know, some visitor's going to walk out of here and think, that guy's messed up, man. Here, I am, but not the way you think. So here's, here's, here's the deal. So God is a gift giver. And God wants us to experience gifts are given because when we love someone, or we want to bless someone, or we want to express to someone an appreciation, something that, that we want to say thank you over, that we want to, to just admire, a gift is given, isn't it? The Holy Spirit gives gifts. God loves us so much that he wants to give to us. He gives to us salvation. He gives to us grace. He gives to us mercy. But he also gives to us things that are experiential in everyday life. I'll give you a great, for instance, when we were probably in the fifth or sixth year of the church, seventh year of the church, somewhere in there, it was before we were able to, um, to bring staff that I could, I, I could give different things to and, and, and get the kind of help that was, it was critical. I found myself running uh, constantly and, and my health began to suffer over it. And, and like, I, I think what we tell ourselves when we get like that is, uh, if I can just get by this hill, it'll be okay. And if you begin to believe that, your whole life is a series of one big hill. 
And, and I found myself, so I, I, I would experience heart palpitations. And I lay down at nighttime, my heart would beat funny. And it, a lot of it was just stress. It was just simply stress. But it's funny what your mind tells you, what the devil will do to you in those things. And I thought, I'm, you're going to have a heart attack. You're going to die. You'll probably be preaching when it happens. Everybody will say, <laughs> So, And here's the thing. I wouldn't share, I wouldn't even share with my wife. Because I know, even when I say it now, I can laugh about it now. But at the time, you're a weirdo to even share something like that. So I remember I, I had finished preaching. And I was having where my heart was just doing this funny little flutter thing. I walk one of these two aisles, turn, I'm going out the door, and there's a lady who has a prophetic gift on her life. It's a very proven gift. She hears from God. She's right by that back door right there, and she stops me. She says, Pastor, I have a word from God for you. Do you want to hear it? And because of my respect for her and my belief, I stopped and I said, please tell me. She says, God wants you to know that your heart is okay. I hadn't told anyone. Now look, if I'd have got up and I was preaching in the message, ooh, I'm having heart flutters, I might die. What do you think? And then she gives me that word, I prime the pump. I wonder how many times we prime the pump, no wonder we don't have belief. We're doing our own Christianity. But when you don't tell anybody anything and you're just praying about something and God answers you, first it lets you know that he knows where you are in space and time, doesn't it? She just said, God wants you to know your heart is fine. I walked out of that door, the peace of God came on me. So what did you do with it? Ultimately, if God really did it, it's okay to verify it. It's not a lack of faith to verify something. I went sought a doctor am i okay hey you got a lot of stress in your life knock it off but your heart's okay what peace that brings um i i've got a a few minutes can i tell you a few stories about the interaction of the holy spirit in my life um i 25 so i don't know if you can even believe that god wants to interact with you on this much of a personal level i believe this God cares about everything that I do. I'm driving on I-25. It was in a, one of our famous end-of-the-season snowstorms where it melts as quick as it hits. It's those great big flakes. It's wet, and you get all the splashback on your windshield. How many of you know that's the day you run out of fluid? So I run out of fluid. And it's caking on my windshield. So first, there's enough moisture where I can knock it off. And then pretty quick, it turns into that mud that all you're doing is smearing it and making it thicker. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. I'm on I-25 driving in a group of cars that's going about 70 miles an hour in a snowstorm. I can't get out of it. And my windshield gets caked up. And I, I'm driving down the road. I have my family in the car. Say whatever you want to. And I hear the Holy Spirit tell me, get off the highway now. So I look to the right at my mirror. Nobody's there. Drive the car right at I-25 in Hampton. Drove up the on-ramp, look to the left, and there is a 30 or 35 car pileup that happens instantly right then. And I drive right up to the top of the on-ramp. Happens right underneath the highway. I go through the light, come right back down the ramp, right on the highway, and drive through it. So I'm like, oh, you really believe the Holy Spirit? Yes, I believe the Holy Spirit did that. I totally believe the Holy Spirit did that. Other side of it. 
some of the worst mistakes I've made as a leader is in not listening to the Holy Spirit at times. There have been hires. People that everything on the outside looked 100%. The resume was unbelievable. And yet something in my heart said, don't do it. And when I have ignored that, that has hurt more than anything else I've done as a leader in this church. You hear me? Anybody know that one? You ever spent money when God told you not to spend it? Wow, nobody's done that one. <laughs> that hurts. The Holy Spirit, I think, operates in so many ways intimately in our life that if we would pay attention to it, it's gifts that God gives us. I've been healed. The most recent one for me was in Israel in November. I got to take, we hadn't been back since I was over there shooting some filming and we're at the pool of Bethesda. And I've got 82 people there that I'm able to say it was right here that God touched me. The most amazing thing happened. Everybody ran down the stairs where I got healed. Think, if I can just get down there, I'll get healed too. And that's not it. We can be healed right here like it's a pool of Bethesda right here. The gifts of the Spirit, they're wonderful. Gifts of knowledge, gifts of healing, prophecy. So the Bible tells us that we are to eagerly desire the gifts. Can I say it one more time? If you're a believer, you're to eagerly desire the gifts of God. And then it goes on to say, especially prophecy. When's the last time you woke up and said, God, let me experience prophecy today? So I wonder if we say, I'm not experiencing God. What if we're not doing the very simple thing he told us? Eagerly desire, if we desired it, I wonder if we'd experience it. But if we're not even open to it, I wonder if we pass by God a hundred times and the opportunities that he gives us. Do you hear me? Let me give you the last one. The last one, you repeat, every believer has the Holy Spirit. Once is not enough. Three gifts are wonderful. Four. Let me teach you very quickly about the idea. The Bible uses the wording, the Holy Spirit on me versus the Holy Spirit in me. Recently, our prayer pastor, Kim DeMay, came to me and she had a dream in which I feel like the Holy Spirit spoke clearly to her and it's a word for our church. So I asked Kim if she would record that so that we could show it at all of our campuses this weekend and I'd like you to watch this and then I'll comment on it in just a second. I was in worship a couple weeks ago and the Lord reminded me of a dream that I had about five years ago. And in the dream, I was in a worship service. I was all the way in the back. I was just there to worship. I didn't have any responsibilities to the service. I was just there to participate in the service. And during worship, as I was worshiping, this manifest presence of the Holy Spirit started at my feet. This wind of the Holy Spirit just came all the way up around me, in me, through me. It was exhilarating. It was wonderful. I was so just caught up with the Lord in that moment. But it was an experience that I've never had before, and it was so beautiful. And when it was over, I looked around 
at the people to see if anybody else was experiencing the same thing. And everybody else was just normal service. And I felt like the Lord asked me, now I want you to go down to the front and release this on the rest of the congregation. And at first I hesitated because I was so enjoying just the time with him and me, but I knew that he wanted me to do this. So I walked down to the front and I prayed a simple prayer. And from one side of the sanctuary to the other, this manifest presence of the Holy Spirit, this wind of his Holy Spirit came ushering in and through and touched every single person. And when the dream was done, I was standing there and he, I felt like he said, now's the time for this. And I believe that, that he wants to do a mighty work in our body, one that every single person is touched by the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit. So I love that. It's the very idea that God wants to touch all of our people. That he wants to manifest the reality of who. Let me ask the question this way. How many of you would love to be touched by God? How many of you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit again? I Man, I need it every day. Why? Because you leak. <laughs> you can't live in this world and not have it literally be pulled out of you. How do you function in this world as a believer without the power of the Holy Spirit in you and on you? So let me, let me then uh, sort of dissect this, and then I'll give you an opportunity to engage God and experience the Holy Spirit. The Bible uses terminology of the Holy Spirit would come on people, and the Holy Spirit would fill people, in people. So I'm looking at that, and I'm trying to say, God, how, how would you teach the, are, are they one of the, are they just, is it just simply, uh, the words are very close to each other, and there's really no difference. I, I don't think that's the case. I think it's, the Bible's specific in what it's saying. So the Holy Spirit could come upon people, and the Holy Spirit would be inside of people. So wh where's the difference? I think maybe I've got a, a way to explain it. So I put it in a sentence this way. The Holy Spirit is on you for others. He's in you for you. So the Holy Spirit comes upon you in order to minister to somebody else whether it's a word of encouragement or to pray for somebody or to actually be the hands or the mouth or, or the, the activity of God for someone. Does that make sense? But he fills you for you because he loves you and he cares for you and he wants to minister to you. Both are relevant. Both are important. Both are necessary. So he comes upon us and he lives in us. I put it this way in the notes, if I were to say, sum everything up, Pastor, what would be the takeaway? What would be the thing that you would say, here's what I want you to get, I would say this, you need to be filled or refilled today and every day with the Holy Spirit. It shouldn't fall in the category of once a week when I go to church, I feel the Holy Spirit. Or when I'm in desperate straits, I need the Holy Spirit. If you're in the greatest place in your life, you need to experience the Holy Spirit. And if you're in the worst place in your life, you need to experience the Holy Spirit. If everything is flush and great, God wants you to experience His Spirit and be filled. And if you're at the negative point in your life and everything's bad and you're struggling, God wants you to be filled every day to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Paul gives this admonishment, don't be drunk with wine which is excessive, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
that's not a one-time experience. It's a present tense verb to always be filled, ongoing, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the point of everything we do is to experience the reality of Christ in our life. That's to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Man, if you were to leave church today and not be filled with the Holy Spirit, you may have gone to an Elks or a Moose meeting. What was the difference? You went to a meeting. Who cares? Did the Holy Spirit touch you? Did the Holy Spirit fill you? How are you going to operate tonight when you go home? You need to operate out of the power of the Holy Spirit. How are you going to be married tomorrow with the power of the Holy Spirit? How are you going to raise your children? How are you going to be a great grandma or grandpa? The Holy Spirit. How are you going to do business as a man or a woman of God? The Holy Spirit. How are you going to live a successful Christian life? How are you going to live any form of a Christian life? The Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're doing it in your flesh, it's a failure. It's a dead work. The life of God is through the Holy Spirit. I would say one more time, if you're bored, if you're just like, man, I don't get it, I can tell you what the missing element is. You're not experiencing the Holy Spirit. That's what it is. Friend, you may experience church. You may listen to a million messages. You can read all the books you want to read. But if you don't experience the Holy Spirit, you're missing the point entirely. Experience the Holy Spirit. So, all right, pastors, how do we do that? Ask. You have not because you ask not. Be open. Allow God. So what do I expect? You don't need to expect tongues of fire to sit on your head or a rushing mighty wind. Expect that if you ask God to fill you, his presence will come into your life. The reality of the love of God, the grace of Jesus, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is what God wants to make manifest in your life. That's the question. Do you want that to happen? Let's pray. Father, so we come to the point where we want an epicenter event in our life. We're not looking, God, just for some type of a manifestation. Father, if you want to do that, here's what I say. Okay. Absolutely okay. You're God. You can do whatever you want to do. And Father, we're not going to tell you how to do it. We just want you to do it. We've got every person in this room. I know that you want to touch. And I believe, God, everyone here wants to experience the reality of what I just said. They want to know that you're real. They want to experience your love. They want your grace. They want the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So God, as we just come right now to engage you, as we set aside time in our service to be on purpose about allowing the Holy Spirit to fill us, Father, do what only you can do. Minister yourself to us. Give yourself right now. Father, we give ourselves to you. Give yourself to us. Beyond a definition that a church teaches, the reality that, God, you can do what you want to do in our lives. Just be God right now and fill us with the Holy Spirit. Church, can I just ask you to do me a favor? You just put your hand on your heart right now. Just put your hand on your heart. It's, it's Pastor, what is that? It's just, it's an identification. of Just saying, God, my heart is open to you. Father, that's what we do. We open our heart to you right now.
None of us knows everything there is to know. You tell us, Father, can't even begin to plumb the depths of your understanding. Scott, we don't try to just sit here and go, okay, I know what's going to happen next. We just open ourselves up to you right now and ask you to touch our hearts, fill our lives, manifest yourself, Father God. Lord, I pray that people would experience you, experience your love, your grace, your fellowship, your gifts, your life, all that you have for them. God, our hearts are open to you, and we expect, Father God. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me have you stand to your feet if you would. We're going to spend some time in worship. We offer several ways for you to engage God. We have crosses in all of our sanctuary, at all of our campuses. If you'd like to go there, there's notes, pens. If there's anything that you just want to write to God and bring it to Him, that's a good place to express it. If you want to just worship Him in your seat, you can do that. If you want to use our altars, you can do that. If you need prayer, you want someone to pray with you, in the back of all of our sanctuaries, you'll find people wearing lanyards that will say prayer on it. Go to them and talk to them. But however you do it, rather than just jump out of the service, take a few minutes and ask God to fill you. Ask God to touch you, to manifest in your life. Believe that he'll do that. We'll release it right now to all of our worship pastors.